What a wonderful phrase. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Isn't that a wonderful idea to welcome the Holy Spirit? Uh, if you haven't already, through the prayers and through that song, just pause right now and just say, Welcome here, so Holy Spirit. Say it for your life, for your heart, for your mind. We'll just pause and open in a word of prayer before I jump in. Lord, if we haven't already said it, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Man, good to see you all this morning. It's great to be here in the Japanese hall with you all. Ah, just going to jump right in with a quote from Tina Fey. Seems like the appropriate transition. Uh, she once said, you can't be that kid standing at the top of the water slide overthinking it. You have to go down the chute. Amen. <laughs> she there speaking, of course, about her context within uh, improvisational comedy, a.k.a. improv. And uh, she gives, uh, attributes a lot of her success, her writing chop chops and her acting chops to her experience as an improv actor. Uh, I personally have a real sweet spot in my heart for Tina Fey. Got a new guitar this year, named it Fey. Just saying. Um, but when she's reflecting on improv, she says there's some basic rules. Are there any improvers in the house today? Perfect. So everything I say, no one can question. Everyone's just going to believe blindly. Some basic rules about improv, she says, first, agree. So say yes. Uh, but don't just stop there. Rule number two, say yes and. Katie, you didn't put up your hand. Yeah, <laughs> you're an improver. I know there's others in here too. That was improving. We were improvising. Uh, the second rule is say yes and. So don't just leave, leave it hanging, but take it somewhere. And then uh, final rule, there are no mistakes, only opportunities. I know there's other rules, but these are some that she touched on. Again, Tina Fey, in improv, there are no mistakes, only beautiful, happy accidents. And many of the world's greatest discoveries have been by accident. I mean, look at the Reese's peanut butter cup or Botox. Not sure what that means. Uh, and Tina Fey learned all of this because she was a student of the school called The Second City in Chicago, which is the improv theater school, the, the, the giant in the industry. And it's become more of uh, just an improv theater and more of an organization or an enterprise. It's uh, produced famous comedians like Gilda Radner, John Belushi, Mike Myers, Tina Fey, Bill Murray, Stephen Colbert, Steve Carell, Julia Louise Dreyfus, Chris Farley, and not, I'm not even exaggerating, many, many more. The, the school, I mean, is just, it's a, uh, it's just like an epicenter for comedy. And uh, like I said, it's not just a theater now, it's this enterprise, and they train comedians, 
but they also train managers and marketers and teachers and lawyers and leaders and just people in general how to take some of these principles into life. And um, the book Yes And is a book about this written by the uh, CEO and founder of uh, uh, Second City. And is, this is a practical guide to applying improvisational techniques to personal and organizational growth. And uh, they talk a lot in this book about yes and thinking. And yes and thinking is a rule of thumb in improv comedy that suggests that participants should accept what another participant has stated, so yes, and then expand on that line of thinking, and, yes, and. So for example, if I'm driving an imaginary car, and I'm saying, here I am in my car, and I've got a steering wheel, the other person, to decline that or to kill the scene would say, no, that's not a car, you're not driving. Zroom. That's horrible. But improv comedy would be like, yeah, totally, and I'm here too in the car going somewhere. Obviously, I'm not an improv <laughs> comedy actor, but uh, you could see that scene developing, right? It's really growing into something. So why, why am I talking about improv this morning? Well, one, I think it's fascinating. I'm very uh, interested in it, but I think there's something we can take today. Uh, and I uh, want to quote again uh, Kelly and Tom, the uh, founder CEO of Second City, and they say, in full improviser mode, we become better leaders and better followers. Likewise, we hear things that we didn't hear before because we are listening deeply and fully. Mm. I love that. And I started getting really excited about thinking about yes and thinking in Acts. So if you're new to us this morning, we've been going through a series on the book of Acts, which is the fifth book in the New Testament. And I, I started getting really excited thinking about what, what could this mean for our relationship to the Spirit? And I think we're going to see that this morning a little bit. Are you with me? Okay. Whoa, Julia, you're here. Why didn't you put up your hand? Oh, yeah. Oh, classic. These guys I can call out because they're, they're used to this improv kind of, right? That's like in the biz. That's cool. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Well, good, Julia. Good for you. <laughs> let's pray and let's jump in. Again, Holy Spirit, we say you're welcome here. And we say Yes. Uh, but not just stopping there. Yes, and what, what can we do next? How can we partner with you? Pray you teach us and show us through Acts chapter 3 this morning how we can partner with you, what you've been doing, what you did back then, what you've been doing all along, and what you're doing today. Uh, we, we really, really want to join you. And so, yeah, help me, God, help me communicate. And uh, if anything, just uh, teach us something, show us something, uh, bring something new to light in our hearts and our lives that we can take out of this moment, out of this building, into our lives. Amen. All right, so thinking of yes and, I want to do a little bit of recap. So if you see this through Acts chapter 1, the followers of Christ, they receive instructions to wait. A bit of a, like, here's the, the bait, the imaginary steering wheel. And they do this, and then they also start to pray had their little bit. In the meantime, 
maybe some more improvisation, they choose a 12th disciple. Matthias is added into the group. Then, as you know, Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes in power. The people, it said, were cut to the heart. Nelson talked about this last week. Pierced is another word to say. And then, I love this, they asked, now what do we do? It's actually in the text. Read it. Now what do we do? Classic improvisation. I love it. Yes, and. And last week, Nelson talked about these two words, repent and baptism. And he talked about, I love this, reclaiming the meaning of repent, which I think we need to do. Repent has kind of become this old, stale word, maybe prickly a little bit. It just hurts to hear or see. Uh, but he, he talked about reclaiming the meaning of repent as a grace-infused invitation to change course. Or maybe a grace-infused invitation to say yes and. The Greek word is metanoia. means to turn, change your mind, redirect your life. It's a, a term that's going to come back later in this passage that we're looking at, uh, repent, and eight times through the whole book of Acts. Uh, and it's not just a one-time action. So repent and you're good, but it's this culture. It's a, it involves a daily living into and leaning into. Another way to look at it is maybe repentance is saying yes and to the Spirit of God at work in your life, bringing change in you and affecting change through you. This really is the core of a phrase that we've taken on as a bit of a tagline as a church, to be changed and create change. Nelson also talked about baptism being an invitation to swim with the dolphins. I don't have time to explain what that means, so listen to the podcast. To quote Nelson James Boschman, which is one of my favorite things to do, he said, in other words, repent and be baptized is not something to cower away from in fear. It's good news. And I think this is a great point. It must have sounded and felt like good news. Why else would 3,000 people sign up on the spot? I love how Barbara Brown Taylor describes this event, the Acts 2 outpouring of the Holy Spirit. She says, they had sucked in God's own breath, and they had been transformed by it. The Holy Spirit had entered into them the same way it had entered into Mary, the mother of Jesus, and for the same reason. It was time for God to be born again, not in one body this time, but in a body of believers who would receive the breath of life from their Lord and pass it on, using their own bodies to distribute, distribute the gift, being changed, creating change. She continues, the book of Acts, uh, perhaps is a good summary statement for our, our series here. The book of Acts is the story of their adventures, which is why I like to think of it as the gospel of the Holy Spirit. In the first four books of the New Testament, we learn the good news of what God did through Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, we learn the good news of what God did through the Holy Spirit by performing artificial resuscitation on a room full of well-intentional bumblers and turning them into a force that changed the history of the world. Oh, love that. Thank you, Lord, for Barbara Brown Taylor. And uh, I love that phrase, the book of Acts being the, the adventures, the story of their adventures. There's some kind of 
I don't know if you hear it too, that, that yes and mentality. It's a bit of an adventure, a little bit of a risk, a little bit on the edge. I'm sure Julia or Katie or anyone else that has done improv, you can talk about that feeling, that adrenaline rush of being kind of on the edge of something great happening or something disastrous uh, unfolding. And so I, I feel like this sense and acts and uh, I want to bring a little bit of that into, uh, into our lives by receiving the breath of life from our Lord and passing it on, using our own bodies to distribute the gift. And so Acts 3, here we go. We come in, the narrative really kind of slows down. We've gone really, really big, the spirit in power, 3,000 people being added. They're all devoting themselves to prayer. They're eating together, meals, they're sharing, and then shoomp, Acts 3. One day, and here we pick up. This is an individual story of, I think, what it looks like to say yes and to the Spirit. Verse 1, if you want to follow along, on page 760 in your gorgeous chair Bibles. I feel like we have to point that out every time we open them. That They were donated, and we're grateful. 760 in your chair Bibles. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Maybe just a throwaway statement, but I love this. Here we catch Peter and John in the middle of their devotion. Uh, It says that the the followers of Jesus, they were practicing his way. They were doing it through prayer, eating together, taking communion together, uh, sharing hospitality with their neighbors. They were listening to the teachings of Scripture. So this is, this is just them and their regular rhythms. And I, I think this, this could be a message in and of itself, just this phrase. Because how many times do you feel like you're practicing the way of Jesus and maybe it just feels a little bit like normal, a little bit like... God, where are you kind of thing. I'm doing my thing, but nothing spectacular is really happening. I think there's something really beautiful to that. Because when we commit ourselves to those, that, that sense of devotion and those repetitions, those practices, I think that's when we can open ourselves up to something spectacular. And it doesn't always happen, but it does happen. So verse 2 to 5, let's continue. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And I think this is too important to pass up. I can't go on without saying something about this, because this... This kind of stare-off, I think, is important. It's like, you look at me. I'm looking at you. What? Look. What? Who's looking? At, why are we doing this? But they, I love this idea that they looked straight at him. Uh, a man who was passed over every day, day after day, looked over unseen, worthless, unwanted. Uh, just imagine the sense of uh, worthlessness that he would have felt sitting there, asking for money, asking for food. And here are two men that look at him. They see him. And uh, 
I, I don't know what your relationship was with the city in Vancouver here, but it's not uncommon to pass someone like this on the street. There is a guy that often sets up around Maine and Broadway near our offices at SOMA, and uh, I see him every day. Every day I'm there, he's always there. And I mean, if I'm honest, I have different thoughts or reasons for not giving anything to him. And I'll often say, sorry, man, and give him nothing and pass by. And uh, I remember years ago asking someone, someone that I thought was pretty street savvy and uh, that I respected, what, what do you do when you encounter people like this? Um, what do you do when, when someone's asking for something? And I think uh, they gave some really good advice. And uh, their, their advice was to at least, at the very least, look at the person. Give them the dignity of seeing them, of noticing them. Um, these are people with so much rejection on a daily, uh, daily basis. They're made in God's image just like I am. The very least you can do is look at them in the eyes and say no or sorry, not today. So maybe, maybe that's what's happening, or maybe Peter and John did this before, but they looked at the man, and it says the man looked back expecting to get something, and this is what happens in verse 6. And Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. <laughs> Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Amazing, a, a miracle that we're witnessing here. And I think there's a few interesting things about this miracle and about the, the story and the way Luke tells it, because uh, it doesn't give a lot of information like, I wonder, have they seen this man before? It said he'd been there, so we assume they had. Or why this day? Why now? Why, why him healing today on this moment and not earlier? Why didn't it happen sooner? Uh, it says the man was disabled from birth, and people laid him at the temple gate each day. I also wonder, were they scared? Like Peter and John, were they nervous? It doesn't sound like it in the text. But were they, like, hesitant? In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk? I don't... Maybe? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I just can't imagine having the... Like, the, the way it's written is that there, there's a level of confidence there. Did they know it would work? <laughs> That's another question I have. Obviously, and like if this happened right now, everyone was amazed... The disabled man who could walk was stoked. It says the people gathered around. They were filled with wonder and amazement. And listen to Peter's response in verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? as if by our own power or godliness he had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
The God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and now was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Oof. Peter, he gives the answer to some of those questions. I, I, it wasn't us. We didn't do it. We couldn't have done this. We don't have what it takes to make this happen. It was Jesus. And um, again, I'm reading this into it, but I, I kind of love this thinking, this improvisational thinking of saying yes and to the Holy Spirit. That they're improvising with something far greater than just an idea or another human, but the creator of the universe. And, and we, get, we get this little hint when he says, in the name of Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't say that. Like, they, they hung out a lot with Jesus, right? That their apprenticeship was, was with him for three years. Jesus didn't say, in the name of Jesus, get up. But they knew, and they'd seen him do it a thousand of time, thousands of times, that it was him that was doing the healing. And so this phrase comes out, in the name of Jesus of Christ. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So he invokes the name of Jesus, the one he spent so much time with, the one he's seen do this over and over again. I think we can understand and appreciate that a name carries power, right? Beyonce. Trump. <laughs> the... the yeah, yeah. I really, thanks for pointing that out, Ben. Yeah, I apologize. It was a hard one. Uh, this name, though, G Jesus, it's different. It's good. It's powerful. It's mysterious. N.T. Wright comments on this passage and what's happening here. And he says, and at the point which resonates through the narrative from now on, so saying through the Acts narrative, is this. The name Jesus now carries that power, the power that brought this man to walk. Mention his name and new things will happen. This is as true now as it ever it was. In this story, it turned a disabled man who sat outside the temple into a worshiper who went all the way in. <laughs> Another thing, another little clue or, or thing that pops up in this narrative is this idea of outside the gate. Um, and it is really, really interesting to notice that this demonstration of the power of Christ through Jesus' name took place not in the temple where it was believed was the center of God's presence. So if a miracle is going to happen, it's going to be there. Where, G, where God himself dwells. And this miracle does not happen there. It happens outside the gate. Again, N.T. Wright 
It says, God is on the move, not confined with the institution breaking out into new worlds, leaving behind the shrine which had become a place of worldly power and resistance to his purposes. The good news of Jesus, though beginning in Jerusalem, is starting to reach outside to anyone and everyone who needs it. Oh, that's why we can talk about this today. That's, that's why there's, there's miracles today. The, the possibility of a miracle is because of this very reason. This miracle happened outside the gate. And then the other thing I think in the narrative that is really interesting is that this idea of the connecting, overarching story of renewal. Uh, read with me in seven, verse 17. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted, this is Peter talking, you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent. There's that word again, turn. Repent, then, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So this miracle is not just a miracle for then and there. It's, it's a picture of what's happening. It's a picture of not just the Acts story, the Spirit coming and saying yes and to the Spirit. It's the story of renewal through creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. The story of the gospel. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, uh, miracles are retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. So this is all good, but I, the question comes up, so what? So what, Acts 3? So what, Peter and John? So what, the, the story of this healing? What do we make of it? How do we, what do we learn from it? And I, I know there's more than I can synthesize into a sermon, what has been taken out of the room today, but um, where do we take this? And Maybe these questions will help us from, again, Barbara Brown-Taylor. The question for me is whether we still believe in a God who acts like that. Do we still believe in a God who blows through closed doors and sets our heads on fire? Do we still believe in a God with power to transform us, both as individuals and as people? Or have we come to an unspoken agreement that our God is pretty old and tired by now? someone to whom we may address our prayer requests, but not anyone we really expect to change our lives. What do, you, what do you think about that? Do we still believe in a God who blows through clothes, who has the power to transform, to really change? Have you experienced this in your life? I bet, going out on a hunch, I bet there are stories in this room of how God has changed and transformed lives. I bet there's evidence and proof of that right here in this room. Proof or evidence of what it means to say yes and to the Spirit. And uh, I think this is a risky thing to say to the Spirit. In the improv world, it probably is very risky, but to the Holy Spirit, yes and. And 
I think you should be prepared to be confronted with a few things. A, your own comfort. Uh, B, your reputation. How people see you, people thinking you're different, people not liking you, even hating you, which we'll see later in this, this uh, in chapter 4 and 5. Your beliefs about the supernatural. I think these are real things we're going to have to deal with if we consider saying that to the Spirit. To saying yes and... Okay. Let's pause for a second. Um, this, uh, this week was a momentous week for myself. I turned 40 years old. Thank wow, thank you. And uh, I had the amazing privilege of going on a boat for my uh, birthday. And I had some good friends with me. And this is a picture of that boat. It is called Porpoise. And many of you have seen or heard of or even been on Porpoise with Captain John and Liza. And there I am with Captain John. Looks like a true captain, because he is. And uh, I, uh, apart from it just being an awesome five days, uh, I was struck by the story of the porpoise and by Captain John and his obedience to what I think is what it means to say yes to the Spirit. And uh, so a bit of his story, and I wish he was here to tell it, but he was pastoring in White Rock where, I, this is a fun fact, a uh, little child baby named Scott Oliver McTaggart was born into and uh, was, uh, Captain John was my pastor for a few years, so that was pretty exciting. He had this job, he had this comfortable life in White Rock. He also had a love for the sea and adventure and had a little boat of their own that they would kind of uh, piddle around on. And, um, and then him and his wife went on this trip somewhere and they saw the ship, the porpoise. And uh, Liza had it in her head like, oh, wow, what if, what if we uh, did something like that? And the people who had owned the porpoise before were, uh, they did professional charters all around the, the BC coast. And, and she just started thinking like, what if, what if that would be our story? That would be kind of cool. So she started to entertain it. And this idea was planted in her brain. And uh, she prayed that week. She said, God, uh, if this is you, I need you to show me. And she said, I need you to show me this week uh, that this is you. And so later that week, this quote shows up in her daytimer. You know, in a daytimer, they have little inspirational quotes. This quote shows up in the corner of her daytimer. Uh, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. So she's like, okay, wow, that's a sign. But you can't just make a whole life switch and change based on a daytimer quote. So she, she kind of tucked it away, and she started talking to John about it, her husband, and saying, like, what if, what if this became our story? And what if, like, we started 
what if we what if we bought a boat like the porpoise and we started to host people and what if our ministry became less in the church and more on the water in a boat and so she, they started having all this these questions obviously huge life questions big changes for them and so they decide well let's test the waters and uh she she hooked up a meeting with the owners of the porpoise, and they said, let's just get onto the ship, and let's ask them a few questions about how their life is now and how it works. So they go to porpoise. It was on the island. They make the trip. They go out over there. They sit on the ship. They start talking with this couple that had been doing charters for years, and uh, it turns out they were going to be selling porpoise. And John and Eliza were like, that's interesting. Like, I'd wanted, I was thinking about a boat like this, but didn't think about this actual boat. And so she's thinking about this and like, God, could this be? And then <laughs> the clincher, she said they were having, having lunch on the boat. They're just loving it. They're like, yes, like feeling like we really want to do this, but God, is this you? And the host hands Liza a cup of coffee and the coffee mug is one of those cheesy mugs with a quote on it. Guess what quote it was? <laughs> this quote on the coffee mug. She's like, okay, this is crazy. So they end up selling their little boat. They end up buying this. Long story short, they're doing it. They're, they're on this adventure. And I don't know how many lives they've touched or ministered through, through this ministry, the porpoise. But um, just out of curiosity, how many of you know... Captain John, or have seen the boat, or been on the boat. There's, just, there's a lot of people here that have experienced that, or yeah, heard about it. It's awesome. And so I, I started to wonder if uh, saying yes and to the Spirit was maybe not a healing, but maybe it could be something like that. And maybe it's a healing as well. And so, at the risk of being totally, totally cheesy, uh, I, I want to close with this prayer that I wrote when I was on board the ship. And I want to lead us into the table and lead us into a response where we can say for ourselves, yes, and to the Spirit. So I'm on the deck of the porpoise one morning, and I just was thinking about this and uh, wrote this prayer. I call it a porpoise-driven life. Thank you. Thanks. Lord, I want the porpoise story to be my own, and not the ship or life as a sailor, but the willingness and grit to follow where you lead. I want the spiritual curiosity to ask better questions like, what if? What if you're speaking to me through a random Mark Twain quote? What if you're leading me away from a safe harbor? What if you're stringing together a line of clues that lead to a future destiny? Lord, give me a sense of adventure and the courage to risk following you into unknown waters. Give me a passion to explore, the audacity to dream, and the humility to discover. Where you lead, Lord, I will follow. Let it be so. Amen. As we come to the table, this is an opportunity to say not only yes and to the Spirit, but yes and to the gospel, the good news. Let's remind us ourselves what that good news is, as we say the, uh, the table litany together. Please uh, read where indicated in the bold. 
The gospel is the good news that God, our Father, the creator out of the...